stand with me, grab your Bibles, John chapter 3. Third straight week we've been in the book of John, I find it somewhat interesting. There's no accidents anywhere in your life, everything that happens, every single thing, even the dumb little things like you're like, I just dropped my cell phone and it fit in the only spot in the car that I can't reach it, right? Like, it's the exact same width. How is this possible? You know, anyone uh, had this happen yet? So you're like, oh, it could land anywhere, but it only lands. And it, I couldn't get it there if I wanted to, but it did it now. Everything that happens in your life, God allows. And so the last three Sundays, we've been in the book of John, and the last three Sundays, there's been somewhat opposition to us even getting here and making sure the power was on and, and being able to do the service. And yet God's like, it's not an accident. The enemy doesn't like the book of John. Definitely doesn't like the third chapter of John, which is one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture. So let's pick it up with where we left off. Uh, one, one other thing about, uh, as we were praying, uh, next Sunday I'm doing a message from the book of Revelation, Jesus' letter to the seven churches. I've been wanting to do this for a couple of years, and the Lord's like, now is the time. I really believe that uh, a a good percentage of the American church is as lukewarm and is not interested in the Lord as we've ever seen in our country's history. I also believe a small percentage of people are getting on fire for God. And so what I'll be preaching on next Sunday, you'll have your opportunity. Where do I want to be? And the message is called, Where Are We At? So I hope you're, you'll be able to join us online or here. Uh, weather looks better, uh, but uh, Revelation, I'll be covering chapters 2 and 3 in just a 45-minute message, so uh, that's next Sunday. So I'll jump out of the book of John for actually two weeks, is the week after that I'm doing another topical message called Arise and Go. So the next two weeks we won't be in the book of John. But picking up, we get to finish the third chapter today, John chapter 3, verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who is the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, I must decrease. Isn't that all of us? He who comes from above is, uh, is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. There it is right there. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent, speaks the, word of, uh, speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son, and He has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Isn't that a great passage? Has. Not, well, I wonder, I hope, I... Has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Equally powerful warning. Let's close, or let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning again for your word. It truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Lord, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. Once again, I ask that you remove me from the equation that we might hear from Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, the rabbi, the true rabbi that we need to hear from today. Lord, may we grow closer to you as John and John both did. And Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I think you'd agree with me that all of our instructions and commands 
come from God. And they come from where? His word that we just read. And they're only made possible through us by the perfection and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, you could have a Bible that's so true, but if Jesus didn't give us himself, we can't even live out the instructions. Amen? Amen. But thankfully, guess what else he gives us? He also gives us real, imperfect, flawed men and women in history, just like us, to show us that it can be done and you can live it out and you can walk it out. Didn't say it would be easy, but he's given us real examples just like us that have fallen, skinned their knees spiritually and literally. And here at the end of John chapter 3 is one of those real world lives. We've already seen John the Baptist already. The scene actually shifts back to John the Baptist here. Remember he was featured prominently in chapter 1 as what? The forerunner to Jesus that pointed to Jesus as being both the Son of God and the Messiah. Remember John said the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist said that. No one else had ever said that until John said it. You'll recall that the last four scenes in chapters 2 and 3 in order First it was Jesus turning water into wine. Last two or three, uh, or last four scenes. Jesus turned water into wine. Then we saw Jesus clearing out and cleansing the temple. The money changers, the greed, flipping the tables even. Then pointing to himself and saying that destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Nobody understood that. Next, Jesus refused to commit himself to those who only had a surface belief in him, but yet their hearts were still resistant. And then the last of these four scenes was who? Nicodemus. Same chapter, chapter 3, the first two-thirds of this chapter. Nicodemus, a Pharisee and a religious leader, comes to Jesus by night and he finds out that he must be born again. And us too. And that Jesus came because he so loved the world and lost souls. In Nicodemus, we see that we all desperately need the loving and gracious call to be born anew. Here in John the Baptist, as we flip from Nicodemus back to John the Baptist, we see that we're all called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Make sense? Nicodemus, everyone has to be born again. John the Baptist, everyone has to be a disciple. Juxtaposed side by side in this third chapter. That post-conversion decision to be a disciple of laying down our will and living according to the will and command of Jesus. You all have that choice. Those of you online, you all have that choice. Will I be a disciple or will I be a churchgoer? Nicodemus was a churchgoer, wasn't he? A really good churchgoer. Way better than the average American churchgoer, which goes 2.7 or 3.5 times out of five available Sundays. Right? Nicodemus was there, the Sunday night service, the Sunday service, Wednesday night service, prayer meetings. He didn't miss anything, but he needed to be born again. John the Baptist was already a disciple. Now Nicodemus will become a disciple, but we all have that decision to lay down our lives and follow Jesus in this manner. If you're taking notes, you see the title on the screen, The Joy of Complete Surrender. John the Baptist exalts his Savior. Our flesh, and certainly our culture, doesn't naturally, listen closely to this, your flesh, my flesh, our culture, we do not naturally see surrender as a pathway to joy. We see getting as a pathway to joy. We do not see surrender in our nature, the way we're born. If you have little toddlers, they do not see surrender as a pathway to joy, right? Anyone ever done children's ministry in the two-year-olds? 
none of them see surrender as a pathway to joy. Mine. Lay it down. I will lay down this Fisher-Price toy for this other toddler that I may receive joy. It's just not in you. It's not in us. But it's actually the only path to joy, according to the Scriptures. And how is it that we... So the, this, it's not just laying down and surrender, but it's also laying down and surrender while exalting Christ, while exalting Jesus. So how do we exalt Christ in our life? How do we do both of these things? Well, it's definitely not a one-time statement or confession, but it's a life of service to Christ, in obedience to Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't have a chance every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday without the Holy Spirit. Neither do you. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. But anything else, short of full surrender and living your life exalting Christ, anything else, like we saw in Nicodemus, is empty and vain religion. Can look really good. Wait till you come next week and we look at the church of Sardis. It can look amazing. And wait till you hear what Jesus has to say about what can look amazing, but it's not amazing to God. Anything else can be vain religion that what? That exalts ourselves, something else in this temporal world, or it's a false, completely false, or limited view of God. That's what happens if it's not full surrender. Now, granted, the life of John the Baptist is one of the most unique in all of scriptures. Would we all agree with that? There's only been one John the Baptist. There's never been a, another ministry like his ever. Not even the, prior, uh, the pri- uh, prior prophets before him, even though he's the last of the Old Testament law and prophets, if you will, none of them had his ministry of being the forerunner to Jesus. We'd all agree. Very unique. But our call to full surrender and exalting Jesus is not unique. We all have the same call. Not the same ministry. Does that make sense? Same call as John, different ministry as John. Same call, different ministry. It's a universal call in Christ to everyone to humble themselves and exalt Jesus. Humble yourself, exalt Jesus. You could just keep that outline in your head Monday, Tuesday, humble myself, exalt Jesus. Humble myself, exalt Jesus. If you're taking notes, the first thing we want to look at this morning. Make sure we go through it. There we go. A purposed life. Picking back up with verse 22. A purposed life. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judea. He remained there with them and baptized. Now John was baptizing in Anon. And you, uh, without reading the whole rest of it, they come. There's some conflict with religious leaders and John about purification. They tell John, you know, did you know, Rabbi, Jesus has a whole bunch of people starting to follow him. But none of that bothers John. We want to look this morning at this first point. If you were to ask a cross-section of people, we know what John's purpose in life was. It's going to make it clear, my purpose in life is to do the will of God. But if you were to ask a cross-section of people in life, just leave here, you go to the Mexican restaurant, you go here, you go there, you go to Starbucks, you, go to, you ask anybody, what's your purpose in life? You'll get answers like this, to find fulfillment. To be happy. To make the world a better place. To leave a positive mark. To love my family. To be successful. To help others, just to name a few. And many of those answers, in and of themselves, would seem to have a positive impact. Would we all agree with that? They're not horrible answers at all. matter of fact, many of them are quite helpful to society. But the world around us always looks to itself to find its purpose. It always looks to itself to find its purpose. Whether it's self-design or man-made religions or leaders or education or cultures or pop culture, or the esteemed experts to find purpose. Along these lines, 
I was reading through an article on psychology today. Now, I don't live on psychology today, but when I'm prepping for things, I like to see what others outside of the Christian faith, what they think about the things that we have Jesus telling us about. Because everybody is coming up with a pathway in their mind to joy. We have it written in our own national documents, the pursuit of happiness. That's not a Bible verse, by the way, just because the enlightened fathers put that in there. But along these lines, I was reading through an article in Psychology Today written by Dr. Tachiki Davis. I hope they said that right. Five steps to finding your purpose in life. Five steps. I was like, this is going to be good. Five steps to finding your purpose in life. Number one, find out what drives you. All right, there you go. Number two, find out what energizes you. I was in corporate America 16 years. I heard all of these a lot. Find out what energizes you. Find out what you're willing to sacrifice for. Find out who you want to help. If you don't want to help some people, that's fine. But find out who you... I'm kidding. Just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Didn't mean... It, I, I, the context was just to be helped. Find out who you want to help. Find out how you want to help. I think we all understand the logic of these. And even some of the merit, especially in who and how to help people. That's not a bad thing at all. I know a lot of unsaved people that have been very helpful to me at different times in my life and really appreciative. I remember when when my sister passed away, I had a lot of unsaved people bring stuff by and they were very helpful. So I think we understand that some of these goals aren't bad and and, and self-sacrifice, what are you willing to sacrifice? We have a, 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 a a slowly eroding work ethic in this country, so that's not a bad one either. But here's the problem. When it comes to our purpose for living, Anything that doesn't start with what does God want eventually becomes a problem. And Zach was talking about uh, Wednesday night. I can't remember the point you were making, Zach, but if you start out, it's just a slight deviation, you end up over here. Anything, if our purpose does not start with God, what do you want? The last three weeks, if I don't pray, we're not open because there was every reason to say, oh, this and this, this and it, nobody would have a problem. Nobody would fault it. Everyone, oh, I totally understand, but God, I, I always want, God, what do you want? It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what you online want. It really doesn't. What does God want? Or what has God instructed? Anything that doesn't start, start with what has God instructed or what does God want is inherently flawed. Do you agree with that? It will become flawed. Even with the best of intentions, it will become flawed over time. Even if it starts out with a noble premise, it misses what? It misses the perfection of God. Because God, he will sometimes tell you to do something that goes against every grain of your thinking, and you later say, wow, he was really right about that. Lo and behold, I cannot believe that that worked well. Anything else misses the perfection of God, but it also becomes idolatry because now we're set up and say, no, we chart the course here. It's going to be good. It's going to be helpful. It's going to help a lot of people. A lot of times, things that we've done to help people end up not helping people, puts people in chains over time, interestingly enough. What we want, or charting our own course, is how the whole world became or came into the fallen mess, and it is. Adam and Eve said, well, let's think about this. They, had a, they were pursuing a pathway to joy instead of listening to what God had said. John the Baptist had accepted the will of God for his life, and he was fulfilling it. He could have said, John could have said, you know, these um, camel skins I'm wearing, I would much prefer to be wearing the linen clothes of the Levitical priesthood of which I was born into. And I'm rather tired of these camel skins. He could have said that. He could have said, I was entitled to be a Levite. I was born a Levite. Have you not read about my father? He was in the temple confessing the sins of the people. He could have said that. Or maybe he could have said, "Uh, well, being in the temple would be more satisfying to me than out here in the desert, in the wilderness. I just find it more fulfilling. It energizes me a little bit more to be in the temple than out here 
in the wilderness. But he was called to be. His, his prophetic calling was to be the voice crying in the wilderness. He couldn't be in the temple. God says, the verse didn't say the voice crying in the temple. It said the voice crying in the wilderness. You have a calling, John. You have to do what I've asked you to do. He was chosen before he was even born to baptize people and to preach repentance. Before he was even born, he remember he was like, he got excited when Jesus came in, inside of Mary. He was, before birth, already called to this. And then when he was born, guess what he did? He wisely agreed with God, and we see the fruit of it. And you'll get to meet John the Baptist someday. And you'll get to hear about all the 33 years or so that he lived as well. Many are still to this day turning from their sins because of his ministry to this very day. But when we pick it up here in verse 22, many were still coming to him at that time. And why do we know that? Because he was baptizing people there in Anon. If you want to know where Anon is a map, I love maps, as you guys should know by now. I loved them since I was a kid. Uh, Anon right there is a little bit far. Uh, you see where Samaria is. You have two ministries going on at the same time. Jesus is rising. John the Baptist is slowly decreasing and will have a rapid decrease when Herod uh, obviously imprisons him and ultimately will behead him. Uh, interestingly, both Jesus and John will both die martyrs' deaths. Both had amazing births. But, uh, Jesus, and both will actually go up into heaven around the same age, around 33 years of age. But John the Baptist is still baptizing, still has his disciples there. Uh, we believe Anon is about there in the Jordan Valley, a little bit uh, north there of Judea, a little bit north of Samaria as well. And Jesus is probably somewhere in that square area. Uh, it's a large area there. He had left Jerusalem and was somewhere in the Judean uh, villages around there. So John, Jesus, both ministering at the same time. Now, as he's already been pointing people to Jesus, the Jewish leaders who were masters of their own domain... Uh, they were giving John's disciples a hard time about purification. They were always giving Jesus a hard time, and apparently they were always giving John a hard time. Whoever was preaching truth, they didn't like it. Sounds like America, right? The more truth it is, the more they don't like it. Um, but the, the Jewish leaders are giving him, his disciples a hard time. Then his own disciples, uh, after being bummed out about that uh, kind of uh, in, um, inquisition or whatever it may be, uh, they get mixed up about their own purpose. And by the way, aside from the Jewish leaders, notice, um, notice that everyone, in, I don't have time to read it, you have to read it, and you can actually underline the number of times it says disciples. But notice that everyone here referred to, whether it's Jesus' or John's uh, followers, are all listed as what? Disciples. Of either of John or of Jesus. But the disciples of John are actually in Christ Jesus by repentance and salvation. Does that make sense? They're John's disciples, but they're actually in Jesus as disciples because of repentance and salvation. So even though they're following John's example, like you know, Timothy following Paul, Timothy's still a disciple of who? Jesus, even though he's following Paul's example. But nevertheless, we see a glimpse here that all of us are called to be disciples or committed followers. But even disciples that start out with the right purpose can get off track. Can I get an amen on that, right? Uh, all of us can get off track and into self-focus. We see ourselves a lot. We think, I bet you guys thought about yourself a lot this week. What am I going to eat for dinner? Well, I like that. Well, I like that show. Well, you know, well, I, do I feel like calling them? Do I feel like texting? You know, whatever. You think about yourself a lot. John's disciples are concerned now that more people are headed to Jesus. This is a little bit of an off track. This is, not a, this is not something they should be concerned about, but yet they are concerned about it. They think that John needs to be concerned about it. John, did you realize you're actually, you're, your church attendance is sliding? downward. Are you okay with that? So they go to him and they tell him, hey, more people are headed to Jesus now than you. And John's like, exactly! <laughs> That's the whole, do you not understand why I was born? 
to point people to him, to say, this way, follow me less, follow him, listen to him. John knew, verse 27, look back at verse 27. Uh, Rabbi who is with you um, beyond the Jordan, he's uh, baptizing more, then that's verse 26. Then verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John knew that his ministry from Christ and the purpose of people being saved was all given to him by the Lord. He said, no, no, I can present them to Christ, but Jesus is the one doing the work. John preached repentance, but only Jesus can bring repentance. That makes sense? John pre- I can preach repentance, but only Jesus can bring repentance. You can preach repentance, but only Jesus can bring it. Only Jesus can bring the washing on the inside the water and the Spirit, as Jesus had expressed to Nicodemus. Verse 28, we see in verse 28, you yourselves bear witness, this is John the Baptist speaking, you yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. He said to His disciples, actually, one thing you can tell, John was living righteous enough, his disciples really were like, man, we need to keep you at the top shelf here. And John says, no, 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 I'm not the Christ. He's the Messiah. John has a peace knowing his place is well below Jesus. Do you have a peace knowing your place is well below Jesus? He had a peace in that. That his purpose isn't results. Stop trying to have a results-oriented life and a Christ-oriented life. His purpose isn't results, but simply doing what God has called him to do how it was watered and how much it grew, that was all up to God. John was like, look, if he wants to lower my attendance and more go, that's, that's, he's over the whole universe. John's life was serving, not striving. Not striving. He wasn't trying to keep the ministry up. We need to make sure, when we get to the seven churches, you'll see a lot of the seven churches in Revelation, they have big goals. Be careful of big goals that aren't God-given. There can be some God-given things in your life, but big goals that are of yourself, not a good idea. We see churches that become all about the celebrity pastor, which has been devastating at times. In the last 12 months has not been good. It's some things that have fallen within the church, and you've seen the headlines recently. When celebrities have a big name, when the church name is awesome. I actually am a little concerned about how many churches have icons instead of like the, the, the icon is bigger than Jesus these days, you know? And so it's important that we understand it's not about our reputation, but it's about humbly serving Christ. Not about our reputation. Humbly, John wasn't about his reputation. John wasn't about making sure, hey, we, we, we're known. We always have 10,000 at the baptism. Always. Always. We, we beg, bar, and steal to make sure we always have that. Period. Our purpose is for people to see Jesus, not us. And again, we'll look at that more next week. Next point, taking notes. Pick it up, verse 29. Verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears and rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Taking notes, this next point we want to look at, what I've titled, a perfected desire. Even as we submit to the plan and purpose of God to serve Him as faithful disciples, uh, which again is only possible with the help of the Holy Spirit. None of us can do that. We, we, don't, we don't have enough righteousness in us. We always need the help of the Holy Spirit from now till you live to be 100 if you do. But we obey daily, tomorrow, March, April, May, June. We obey and he makes a way. We obey, and he makes a way. You just continue to do that simple thing. I know that it's a song that the kids have sung, trust and obey for there's no other way. It's still true. But on the road of surrender, that living as disciples according to his will, 
we come to know what Christ has made us to know with a greater or depth of appreciation and our appreciation grows for even the things we already now know because Christ helped us know them. Does that make sense? In other words, everything you know about Jesus, everything you know about the Bible, everything you know that is true is because God has revealed it to you. But the longer you're saved, you actually appreciate it in new ways you didn't even know you could appreciate it. Most of you are married, you now appreciate things in your marriage you didn't appreciate in the first five years of your marriage because it grows in what? Depth. The roots grow deeper and more fruit comes from it. But everything in our Christian life grows in depth and breadth as we remain rooted in Jesus, John chapter 15. The root always determines the fruit. The root always determines the fruit. And if we're rooted and surrendered in Christ, everything will eventually grow that God intends to grow. Everything, as long as we're rooted in Him. Jesus said these very Maybe the first time you ever read them, puzzling words, where Jesus said these in Matthew chapter 25, for to everyone who has, more will be given. He who has, and he will have abundance, but to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. As As Jesus gives you his life, his Holy Spirit, the words of truth, the more you receive them, they multiply, just like the fish and loaves. Remember, they started out, a few fish and loaves, It multiplies. Why? Because to him who has, Jesus says, as long as you retain it, you say, Lord, I'm surrendering these fish and loaves to you again and again and again. He multiplies it. But him who does not have says, I'm not even going to give you fish and loaves. Then what you do have, even your soul will be taken away from you. I won't even give you the scraps, much less let you multiply it. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. You can all, I know it's Valentine's Day, and some of you are the most loving husbands on earth, <laughs> online, some of you wives. But you actually, when it's really God-given love, you can actually grow in it and abound in it. In other words, you can be more forgiving in 2021 than you ever were in your entire lifetime. Your fuse can be shorter now than it ever was before. You can be more likely to say, no. I'll give your way instead of my way. You abound in love. And by by the way, when that happens in the body of Christ, there'll be a lot more disciples made. Because love will be present and it'll be given by Christ through the Spirit. Now, remember when John, now to take this back to John's life here, remember when John didn't even know, even though Jesus was his cousin, even though all that stuff happened when they were babies and all that stuff, remember there was that long gap between Jesus going to Egypt as a child, we talked about this weeks back. There was this long gap between Jesus as a child, then he comes back to Galilee with his family. There's a long gap where John has either forgotten or doesn't understand. He doesn't even know that his cousin Jesus is the Messiah until it's revealed to him afresh and anew. And that's when he says, behold the Lamb of God. It was revealed to him because he even says himself, I did not even know who he was. John says that. It's his own testimony. So he didn't even know Jesus was the Messiah. But then we look at verse 28, where he says, I am not the Christ. Um, I am not the Christ. I've been sent before him. John's understanding and appreciation of who Jesus is has grown. Behold the Lamb of God. It's actually grown. His understanding of himself has grown. His understanding of his own ministry. As the more you mature, God, God will help you understand more of what you're supposed to be as a wife more of what you're supposed to be as a husband, more of what you're supposed to be as a child, more of what you're supposed to be as a parent. God will, no one knows you like God knows you. And so he he knows you and he knows who your ministry is. He expresses to you more of what you are, uh, how he designed you, but he also reveals more of who he is, which is really awesome for our spirit and our inner man. He came to see that Jesus was the lamb. Remember, he didn't know Jesus was even the Messiah. Now he knew he was the Messiah, the Holy Spirit says he's not just the Messiah, he's the Lamb, he's the Passover Lamb that you've been celebrating your whole life. He's that Passover Lamb. He's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's the Son of God. He sees the dove come down, which was the picture of the anointing oil and the Spirit, he's anointed by God. 
And here he touches on something that the Apostle John will later touch on. He touches on something that uh, John the Apostle will write on because John will write what? The book of Revelation as well as this book and of course 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He understands that Jesus is all of these beautiful and powerful roles in his divinity. Son of God, Lamb of God, Anointed of God. He understands now, John sees all this, but he now sees too that Jesus is, he used this word bridegroom. He understands now that Jesus is also the bridegroom. He's added something to the lexicon, if you will. He's the bridegroom. We've not seen him say this until here. Uh, sent from heaven to call individual souls into the bride of Christ. You and I have been called into the bride of Christ. We are f- stitched into the fabric, if you will, of the wedding dress or whatever it may be in the, the body of Christ. In the Tanakh, the Law and Prophets, Yahweh was the only husband of Israel. It was understood by the rabbis, it was understood by the scribes, it was understood in the law that Yahweh alone was the husband of Israel. So John saying that Jesus is the bridegroom is tantamount to saying he's Yahweh. Of course, John 1 already said that back in John chapter 1. But he sees Jesus is God gathering the bride of not just Israel, but all the sons and daughters of God, Gentile and, of course, that's offensive to the religious leaders of that day. But John even sees himself here as the friend of the bridegroom. In the Jewish tradition, and by the way, you can see the friend of the bridegroom in the book of Song of Solomon. There's the friends of the, friends of the bridegroom, uh, which it was always pointing to Jesus um, in that book. In the Jewish tradition, though, the bridegroom was the closest friend, like the best man. And they were responsible for arranging many of the wedding details. Yet they were never to be the focus of the wedding. They rejoiced that the wedding had been fulfilled. And so in John, we see a life already surrendered and serving. And he's rejoicing that this is all coming together the bridegroom, the wedding. He kind of, he's seeing in the future, like I said, John the Apostle will now write about it later, marriage, supper of the Lamb, all of that. But he's rejoicing that this is coming together. And that you know, brings the question to us, what is it here that brings an even greater joy to our lives? Because he goes on to say, therefore this joy of mine, in, um, there in verse uh, 29, Therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled, verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. What is it that brings a deeper joy to John? And really to us. I said it earlier. Exalting Jesus, which John's whole ministry was about exalting. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the bridegroom. He's the Son. He's the Messiah. He can save you. I am not the Christ. He is the Christ. The whole ministry is exalting Jesus. Push all the light. Push all all the glory to Jesus. Exalting Jesus. And then he says, I must decrease. You think you've already gone low enough in your life? Guess what God's going to ask you to do for the rest of your life? (laughs) It it is a southward motion. He's going to keep... I've been in the book of Revelation in my personal study which is not coincidence that the men are just starting it this past Thursday, and then the Lord put on my heart to do this other message, and I'm in it in my personal study, and I'm amazed at how many chapters the 24 elders keep falling on their face before Jesus. It's not just one chapter, it's several chapters. The 24 elders keep falling on their face before Jesus. You're like, how many times will they do this? Probably for eternity. Go even lower. Jesus is calling you in 2021 to exalt him more, and to go even lower. But I went really low last year. Guess what your call is again? Incrementally lower. We all need to have the presence of Jesus crowd out the, all the competing interests in our life. We all need to see that going lower actually lifts our spirits. Of course, it lifts it, it, its glory to God, but it lifts our spirits as well. Uh, and, I, and I just... It's a prayer. I'd be praying for all of us. Lord, help us at CCR to experience the joy in dying to ourselves. 
Help us experience the joy in dying to ourselves. John's expressing this is joy. You either believe it or you don't believe it. I don't know, John's, he's not right. He's going to lose his head. He can't be right. This combined work of exalting and praising Christ and dying to our earthly but tightly held personal desires is the pathway to untapped joy. I hope you're hearing me this morning. God is telling you that the pathway to the joy you've been trying to find by getting is releasing and surrendering and exalting. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, all joy, distinct from mere pleasure and still more amusement, so that bracket, mere amusement and pleasure, that's America. Amusement and pleasure. You can bore yourself to tears trying to amuse yourself. But he goes on to say, emphasizes our pilgrim status. That's, that's a Spartan life right there. Our pilgrim status always reminds, beckons, and awakens desire. In other words, joy is actually being a pilgrim. To say, I'm letting go of all this amusement and focus of self, and I'm, I'm being beckoned to leave it all and surrender it like John has done in his life. Losing and releasing is gaining Jesus but it's also gaining joy. It's counterintuitive, but it's scripturally definitive. You hear that? It's counterintuitive to our culture, but scripturally definitive. I will believe God over American culture every day and twice on Sunday. How about you? We are a completely mixed up society. I saw recently, um, uh, you know, about the coronavirus, a wrestling, I can't remember state it was, the wrestlers are allowed to wrestle, but they are not allowed to shake hands. This is, this is the nonsense, this is the mindset of the people we now have. They have no common sense. Have you ever, I used to wrestle, you get very close. I'll believe what God says over what man says a thousand times over. I hope you will as well. John the Baptist had a perfect desire. He was joyful in releasing he was going to release his whole life, ultimately. His disciples, though, are tightly gripping. John, we're losing followers. John's like, no, this is the way it's supposed to go. I'm to release it all, and so are you. I mentioned back in chapter 1 the message that Joel Goldberg preached at the Valley of Elah when we were in Israel. An amazing message um, about the fact that Jonathan gave up his role or his right as king willingly. It, like Saul was not. Saul was not about willing. Saul was like, I will put a spear through you. But Jonathan was like, no, I'm ready to go on and even on to heaven before you, which is what John the Baptist would do. He would go to heaven before Jesus and Jonathan would go to heaven before David. And we see the same, oh, it was a great message. I wish I had recorded. If I ever get Joel Goldberg here to the States, I'll have him preach it. It was, an, it was awesome. But uh, look at 1 Samuel 18, 3 through 4. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and he gave it to David with his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. And I had never heard, but it was such a great picture because again, Jonathan and John will both die first, give it all up. David go on to be the king. Jesus goes on to be the king. And we see the same heart of saying, no, you get the glory, not me. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek. Jonathan was meek. John the Baptist was meek. They weren't miserable. They were meek. The word meek it means mild and gentleness of spirit. Americans we can describe as troubled in spirit, not gentleness in spirit. A, gent, a meek spirit, you actually are at peace with God. A striving spirit, you're not at peace with anybody, including yourself. A.W. Tozer said, the motto of the meek person, in himself nothing, and in God everything. That was the way Jonathan lived. That was the way John the Baptist said, no, I yield it all over to God. And in that yielding and not trying to hold on, my way, my control, my chart, my court, you have that meek and gentle, quiet spirit that actually is calming and peaceful. Last thing, 
as we come to a close, this last point, a perpetual focus. Pick it up with me in verse 32. We see John decrease. We see the joy that, that brings him. And in verse 32, he says these things. And what he has seen, and some people uh, are not positive if the Apostle John doesn't pick this up, and it's actually the Apostle John now speaking, or if it's still John the Baptist, doesn't matter <laughs> um, which one it is. Ultimately, this truth was in John the Baptist's life, and we, we can see that he was centered on this as well. And when he, uh, verse 32, what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives capital his. So John is saying no one's receiving the message of Jesus, which is a little bit of um, hyperbole in the sense of saying, compared to everybody on earth should immediately drop everything and all drop their nets like Peter and the apostles, Relatively few are doing that, and that's true in our country. The vast majority of people, you tell them, do you want to live forever? I don't have time for that. I've got my TV show to watch. I, I don't know, time out. You're scared about the virus, right? You don't know if you're going to die. You're trusting in a vaccine. How about, about, how about Jesus? No, I don't have time for that. I need to figure all this stuff out. Make sense? And Jesus is like saying, I can give you eternal life. I'm not saying that all those things are bad. I'm medical stuff, fine. But it only has, it, it's a, has a cap limit of effectiveness. Would you not agree? Just like your seatbelt in the car. You could wear a seatbelt and still not survive. Airbags and everything else. None of those things are a foolproof because it a pointed on a man wants to die. And John is saying with all the people that have seen Jesus do miracles and all that he's done, the vast majority have said, nope. I'll stick with my own personal handcrafted religion. I'll do it my way. The old Frank Sinatra song, right? And that's mostly, that's, that's the most of the people. And so John is a little bit stunned that most people will not receive the testimony of Jesus. And he goes on to say, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. So John's saying, I believe God, not the religious leaders of the day. For whom... God has sent, speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Obviously, He's getting right to the center of the gospel here. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Jesus just told the same exact message to who? Nicodemus in the night. And he who does not believe, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In other words, John is preaching the same message that Jesus preached to Nicodemus in the night. Same message. Distilled down. This last point of perpetual focus, uh, the joyful surrendered life, if you're going to live a joyful surrendered life as a disciple, it never loses sight or an appreciation of the gospel. That's why I've loved being in John 3 recently. I, I hope that you love the gospel more than you did when January 1 hit the calendar. That you're starting to really, Lord, I kind of was forgetting that the gospel is eternally life, soul, changing. And I kind of was relegating it to some low, not that important, not near as big as the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. Right? Which is already old news a week later, isn't it? But the gospel should be more powerful in us a week later than it was last week. And, it ne and the life of John the Baptist and any disciple is never to stop proclaiming it. The gospel and the gift of eternal life, it wasn't old news to John. It wasn't like, I already told that a few times. I'm tired of telling it. Honestly, if you had, if you had the kind of money that Jeff Bezos has, you had $100 billion. You, I, I, I know a lot of you personally, I think most of you would have a blast for the rest of your life giving like $10,000 to anyone you meet. You would have a blast doing that. Like literally, just changing people's lives. They say, oh, you can't afford that medical bill? Here. Many of you would enjoy that. But you actually still have something far greater than that, and we don't give it out. That's a truth that we either believe or we got to get deep down in our soul. Lord, why would I be more happy to give someone a $10,000 check than the gospel? It was just as fresh to John as the day he started it. Are you preaching the gospel to yourself, brother and sister? 
I still have to preach, not, to, not for salvation, but to refresh my mind in its power. I'm already saved, not for salvation, but to stay soft, to stay pliable. Are you sharing it? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, for if I preach not the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for a necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Paul's like, I have nothing to boast of if I'm telling people about just, hey, here's all the things Paul did. He's like, all I did is wood, hay, and stubble in the, in the scheme of it all. I've got to keep presenting the gospel. Woe is me if I don't preach it. The gospel keeps us humble, by the way. You can see that from Paul's verse. It keeps him humble to realize he has nothing to boast about. Neither do I, neither do you, neither did John. That's why John was willing to decrease. Verse 32 again. Um, and what he has seen and heard, he testifies no one receives. On the whole, again, not everybody receives, most people reject. Not only do most non-believers reject the gospel, but many Christians start to take it for granted. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing, the basic thing is an amazing thing. And it's an amazing truth that should center us. The gospel should always center us. This reminder of verse 34, for he who, uh, whom God has sent speaks the words of God and God does not give the Spirit by measure. This reminder keeps us from sliding away and reminds us that our dependence, our soul sufficiency comes from God. Salvation is only from God, but our continued sanctification, our continued growth is the work of the Holy Spirit. God gives the Holy Spirit. He gave us salvation and He gave us the Spirit because the salvation saves us, but the Spirit now propels us forward and remind, the Spirit will always, if you're not being reminded of the Gospel, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. He will guarantee you, remind you to be in your Bible and tell people about Jesus. Guarantee it. He will put the Scriptures in your head but also remind you to give them to others. Now, uh, John, after knowing the way and pointing the way, he kept appreciating and preaching the way. I've come to salvation way back in 1995, but I appreciate salvation more now than I did before in certain ways. And so the Lord wants to uh, continue to grow that in us. And thank the Lord we have this reminder in verse 35 that the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. The Father loves the Son and the Son loves us. Isn't that great to know? The Father loves the Son, the Son loves us, and we're supposed to have the same love and obedience for Jesus that He has for the Father and for one another. It's just everyone in the family of God bathed in this love. Verse 36, coming to a close here, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But you have to believe. We have everlasting life, but you have to believe. In, in John 14, 21, it says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and will love him, and I, and I will love him and manifest, manifest myself to him. Real belief means that we actually love God with the surrender of our life. It's not just, not just a sinner's prayer. Many people have said sinner's prayers and do not love God or believe in God. This is saying, Lord, I love you enough now. I'm going to walk in your ways. We have this beautiful passage. He who believes in the Son has everlasting. God says, I've already given you everlasting life. Your call now is to obey me, love me, exalt me, go lower, serve me. I'll give you the joy and I'll give you eternal life. We also have, with this beautiful truth that we have everlasting life for believing in Jesus, we have this sobering warning and he who does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wisest thing you and I ever did was believe in Jesus. The most foolish thing a person can ever do is not believe in Jesus. By far, it's not even close. The most foolish thing is say, I'll, I'll put it off. I'll do it when I'm on my deathbed. How do you know when that's going to be? Right? I don't believe that. 
But I believe in all kinds of other things that make no sense whatsoever. In closing, we've been given the path to eternal life, that's Jesus, and the path to joy, exalting and surrendering to Jesus. All of it's about Jesus, isn't it? We've been given the testimony of Jesus. We've been given the witness of Jonathan and of John. So what's stopping us from full surrender? What's stopping us? It's a little bit of unbelief and a little bit of selfish, isn't it? A little bit of unbelief, a little bit of selfish. John says, I'm going to believe everything God told me, and instead of being selfish, I'm going to be surrendered. And I hope you will as well. Let's pray. Father, we just, again, we come before you. We, we are so grateful uh, that we're even here this morning. Uh, we're grateful, Lord, that the ice storm was not ten times worse and all of our power out and every street covered with ice. And, uh, but, Lord, you've, you've allowed your word to go forth. You've allowed us to come and to worship and to fellowship and just to sit under your servant John, both your servants, John, the Apostle John and John the Baptist and ultimately your beloved son, Jesus. And the fact that, Lord, you've called us not just to eternal life, which is beyond our comprehension, but Lord, even in this life, that we can have joy unspeakable through exalting you and surrendering to you. And we thank you, Lord, that you gave your life to bring us this message of hope and peace and joy and eternal salvation. With our heads bowed, just before we close and we'll close in worship, but again, I, one of the main reasons, I mean, the, the, as I said at the beginning, the, the main reason we're having a service today where I didn't just look at the forecast and say, all right, it's going to be too icy, you're going to be this, do this, do that. Lord, was clear as a bell, have the service. But you know, I don't know if you know that Charles Spurgeon, he got saved because a little church in London in the middle of a blizzard still had church that Sunday. And he's walking in the middle of a blizzard and he saw the only building that had like a little bit of a light flicker in it, and he went in, and that Sunday, he was a teenage boy, he got saved, because that church was open on a blizzard Sunday in London. And I think it was London, but I know it was England. Um, and so he gets saved on that day, and you just never know what God's going to do. So maybe there's someone online right now, and you said, you know, I wasn't even going to go to church, but, uh, you know, I saw on Facebook, or this... The, I watched the service. Maybe God spoke to you. And even though this was message mainly to believers surrendering, following John the Baptist's example, a surrendered life, we also have the gospel here. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And I can guarantee you John would stop everything to bring one person to Jesus. And so we want to stop for just a moment if there's someone and you're watching online and saying, man, I've never, you said the most foolish thing I could ever do is say no to Jesus I don't want to say no anymore. I want to say yes to the forgiveness of my sins. Yes to eternal life. Yes to the peace and knowledge that God has saved me and redeemed me from a future in hell and the curse of this earth. And so if, if the Lord's spoken to you, only the Holy Spirit, like I can preach repentance, but only Jesus can bring repentance. If the Lord has spoken to you, I just want you to pray with me. My words are not, it's really... You know, your heart has to believe these things. But if you believe them, the confession of your mouth, you believe with your heart and confess, you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, God will save you. Just pray with me if you want to come and give your life to Christ and never go back to this world. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for living a sinless life. Thank you for preaching the gospel. Thank you for showing me that I'm a sinner born in sin. And Lord, I confess all of my sins. Lord, I can't even remember them all. They're in the thousands now. But Lord, cleanse me and forgive me of all of my sins. The greatest, just say no to you up until now. Wash me. Cleanse me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. For I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. I did that. I don't know the exact words, but I did it in my wife and I on the same day in June of 1995. We've never been the same since. 
If it's real, you're a new creation. If you're playing games with God, that's a different story. But if it's real, he will save you. He will change you. For those of you that are believers, I pray that this coming week, and we've got another opportunity Wednesday with the Discipleship Night, it'll be a great opportunity for you to kind of say, with what I heard today, and what I'm going to hear this Wednesday, 2020, I'm just going to exalt Jesus and be surrendered. Amen? Why don't you stand and close and worship with us?